Hey, everybody. Welcome to You Were Born for this podcast with Father John Ricardo, Mary Guilfoyle. We're a couple of missionaries at Acts 29. This is the podcast where we reflect on the Word of God, especially as found in the first reading at Mass for Sunday, and then talk about how it can bring transformation, renewal, encouragement, and hope to our lives. Mary, feeling renewed, encouraged, hopeful today? (laughs) I am, and I have to tell you, Father John, I love when we get to come together and have these conversations. I look forward to them every single week. Yeah, the Word of God is such a rich feast, and I personally experience it as a tremendous gift to uh, talk about Scripture with others and in a particular way with you. Uh, in our little podcast here. So what is our topic today? So today's topic is there is another side to the tapestry. Another side to the tapestry. So let's pray. And then uh, maybe we can ask everybody to pray for us because we've got some special guests coming into our uh, office this coming week, but we'll let them know about that after we pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Oh, Father, we, we turn to you right now in a very particular way for those who are listening, who find themselves in the midst of pain those who feel lonely, isolated, frustrated, perhaps abandoned, for whatever reason, Lord, the circumstances of their lives. We know that you are a good father. We know that you hold all of us in your hands. We know that your grace is sufficient for all things. You know, Lord, how hard life is not only as our creator, but as uh, one who became flesh for us and became a man of suffering. So Lord, we just pray that this conversation right now would be a means by which uh, consolation, hope, comfort would be brought to those who are carrying the cross in a particularly heavy way right now. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Spirit. Amen. So as you mentioned, Father John, we're asking you, our dear friends, to pray for us. Uh, in um, about a week, we're going to be hosting, uh, I think, something like, what, 30 leaders, Father John, right? I believe so. From all over the country to come to our campus, which we really don't call a campus or an office. We just really call it a home because we've set it up, designed it to be something of a home. So we're going to be welcoming 30 leaders to join us for a week for what we're calling leadership immersives. And so if you could just pray for those men and women who are coming to us, that their time with us would be a source of refreshment and encouragement, and that they would leave filled with hope and, more importantly, just a a set of new mindsets around transformation and revival. Yeah, for those of you who may not be familiar with our work outside of the podcast, this is one of the four main things that we do in Acts 29. We bring... Uh, leaders together from around the country. We do about 12 of these offsites, uh, week-long offsites a year, uh, where we bring in various cohorts, bishops and their teams, pastors and their teams, ministry leaders and their teams, uh, so that we can share with others what it is that we feel like God has shared with us, which can bring transformation and renewal in the church. So, yeah, please pray. We have uh, we have need of it. Thank All right, you. that Thanks, said, Father you want to take us away with the Word of yeah, God this week? Yeah, I do. So our first reading for this coming Sunday comes from the book of Job, chapter 7. Verse not Job, by the way. It's Job. <laughs> not the letter to the Filipinos, although I love the Philippines, but it's Paul's You're letter to the Philippines. You're hilarious, Father John. So it's Job, chapter 7, verses 1 through 4, and then verses 6 through 7. Job spoke, saying, Is not man's life on earth a drudgery? Are not his days those of hirelings? 
He is a slave who longs for the shade, a hireling who waits for his wages. So I have been assigned months of misery, and troubled nights have been allotted to me. If in bed I say, When shall I arise? Then the night drags on. I am filled with restlessness until the dawn. My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle. They come to an end without hope. Remember that my life is like the wind. I shall not see happiness again. To which we're all going to respond, thanks be to God. Thanks, thanks Debbie Downer. <laughs> so <laughs> That's the, hard. You know, we're, as we, we take a look right now at the, uh, this excerpt from the book of Job, uh, the, the theme of Job in a, lot of, uh, in a very particular way is suffering. And why does suffering happen? And just as we were mentioning, as we uh, began to pray, for a number of us listening right now, we know that we're in the throes of suffering. Could be grieving of a spouse, grieving of a parent, uh, undergoing cancer treatments, depression. I'm thinking of countless people as we're starting to talk right now who are on my minds who this is their experience right now, today. They feel like um, my life is like the wind and life is a drudgery. And I'm thinking immediately of something I... Well, not even something that I heard. I've just personally always found and had tremendous respect and uh, attentiveness to to Christians who have weathered significant storms and whose faith has persevered. And there's two people in particular. One's my mom. The other is you. Uh, my mom was such a woman of wisdom, and she was a woman of wisdom. Um, mainly because of what she suffered. And so I held her in in incredible esteem. And I do the same with you, just because you have persevered through what you went through with cancer and how the Lord ministered to you during that time and how you 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 said what Job said and yet clung to Jesus and trusted in Jesus. And now here you are, and you're able to share with people the lessons that the Lord has shared with you. I, I just want to acknowledge that, honor that, reverence it, because it's um, I haven't in the way that you have and in the way that my mom have, and that's, that's really important for people to know. Thank you, Father, Father John. And, and to be clear, I mean, all of our storms in life, you know, they come to us in very unique ways. Um, but but to your point, I remember um, I had been studying at Sacred Heart Major Seminary a set of years ago, and um, I had just gone back to Sacred Heart uh, to work on, uh, ultimately, wanted to get my master's degree. Yeah. So I had gone back to school. I was so excited about this new season in my life, and six weeks into my return to seminary, um, I got a call from my doctor um, that I was that it looked like I was sick. And um, I remember talking to one of my professors. I had stepped out of his class, and I said, he said, um, are you okay? And I said, I'm okay, but I have a sense I'm going to go to another school. And I said, it's called the School of Suffering. And my sense is I'm going to learn a whole lot more during that enrollment in that School of Suffering than I will down here at Sacred Heart Major Seminary. And, and the reality was, while that was not glamorous, and it was very difficult. I do think I learned a lot more 
from that season of my life than had I finished my degree. I know you did. And I've, and I've heard you say many times in lots of different contexts, you know, you, you had a relationship, a friendship with Jesus and with the triune God before that happened. But, uh, you, you did doctoral work, uh, when you went through that season and you have a much deeper uh, friendship with the Lord as a result of that. And I think my own experience anyway, looking from this side of um, suffering, um, I mean, I've suffered in my life, but I don't think I've uh, suffered in that way. I think people look at folks like you, like my mom, I'm thinking of some other friends of mine right now, and and the lessons that people have and the... the um, uh, the grace by which they continue to cling to the Lord and trust him, even in the midst of really difficult times. And, and we look at, at those of you who've gone through that and go, I want that, but I don't want to get it that way. <laughs> you know, like I want that kind of tested faith, but can I, is there a shortcut Lord? Can I get this for, you know, like, uh, is there a two minute podcast I can listen to where I can acquire this without actually having to go through it? Because, because suffering is not romantic. Yeah, Exactly. So so as we look at Job and as we try to break this open and reflect on it, I think it's just worth saying at the outset, I think people are often surprised that Scripture is as honest as it is about suffering, meaning no one asks the question more um, poignantly, more directly than people in Scripture to God, why is this happening to me? You know, Job's doing that here. We see it in the Psalms over and over again, which is, I think, important for us to know. Like, faith does not tell you, hey, everything's just going to be fine, relax. And I think one of the many lessons in Job is do everything you can when you're walking with people who are suffering to avoid offering pious platitudes. So the story of Job, for those of us who are not familiar with it, is Job's a very successful man, a very wealthy man, a very prosperous man. He's got a big family. And and Satan comes to accuse him before God. And the accusation is basically, you know, don't you, that the only reason he loves you is because you give him gifts. In a certain sense, that's really at the heart mm-hmm. of the story of Job, is an accusation from the enemy of the human race that God on his own is not lovable. He's only lovable because of what he gives And then the Lord allows Satan to test Job, and Job loses everything. He loses his children. He loses his wealth. um, He loses his health. The only thing he doesn't lose is his wife, which is rather unfortunate because his wife says to him at one point, I'm kind of kidding, right? she, She offers this brilliant piece of advice. Why don't you just curse God and die? Um, So he loses everything. And then along come these three friends, quote unquote who try to offer explanations for Job as to why he's suffering. And they're wrong. And I I was thinking, when you were sick, you probably didn't want people to come and sit next to you and say, you know, can I tell you why this is happening to you? Thanks very much, but I'm not (laughs) going to find that very helpful. Can you go away now? But you know... But but here's here here's the reality. People are so well intended, and sometimes 
um, it's almost better not to say anything and just to gift whoever you're walking with who's going through a difficult season, whether it's with their health or their marriage or their finances or their kids. Sometimes the best gift we can give to someone who's suffering is simply the gift of presence. And I found um, the gift of presence during that time in my life to be that which was a tremendous source of grace and hope and encouragement just to be with, yeah, right? Just to have someone come and sit with you. Just to have someone just come yeah. and be with you. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, I, I can only, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of grief. You know, what? I'm thinking of like when I lost my parents and my brother, I didn't want anybody to say anything. Like my experience was I wanted people in the room because I didn't want to be alone, but I didn't want you to talk to me. And, and that's what I'm hearing in you too. It's right. like, can you just come and sit and be with me? But don't try, don't, well-intentioned as we are, um, don't, don't try to say something because it probably won't work. There aren't words that are sufficient. I, I find personally one of the most um, inappropriate expressions that we've often become accustomed to saying is everything happens for a reason. Well, that's true, but sometimes the reason is just people have chose to do wicked things. And, <laughs> and yet... I couldn't agree more, Father John, and yet God can bring great good absolutely out of all things that he allows. Only God can do something like that. Right. And and that's the that really leads right into the tapestry image, absolutely. which is where the title of the podcast episode comes from. There's another side to the tapestry. So I know many people are probably familiar with this, but maybe a few people aren't. And I every time I try to track down who said this first, I don't know that it's findable anymore, but it's been used by people like Corey Ten Boom, people like John Piper. Uh, lots of people have used the image of a tapestry to say life is like living on the other side of a tapestry. So like if, if we were going to go down, say, to the Detroit Art Institute, we'd, we'd take a look at those giant wall tapestries that come from, you know, the Renaissance age or from different eras in history. And they're, they're massive. I mean, they, they cover a wall, the wall, the wall in a house and they're, they're beautiful. I mean, they're spectacular images of people hunting or of a scene from scripture or from a, you know, some pastoral scene of the countryside, but they're only beautiful from the front. If you were to walk around behind the tapestry you wouldn't see a scene. You'd just see a bunch of strings hanging down, right? And the images, uh, which I find so helpful, life here, especially when we're suffering, is like living on the other side of the tapestry, that side where we can't see the image. All we see are strings. It just doesn't seem to make sense. Like, is there any point to this? What's going to come of this? Uh, is all this just random that's happening to me? Or is there, in fact, an artist who's doing something, who's not willing my suffering? But allowing it. He, yeah, he's at least allowing it, which means he must know what he's doing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, as hard as that is for us to understand, and that's that's one of the messages in Job, is that for Job to be able to critique what's happening to him, he has to be... Um, a different kind of being than he is. He needs to be somebody who can see the eternal perspective and, and no one of us can see it. Right. You, you, you and I were talking about a sermon before we hit, uh, hit record that I know we both have loved for years. 
beautiful. Yeah, one of my all-time favorites. Uh, this pastor, he was a Baptist pastor, a massive evangelist. I think he was um, the pastor out in a massive uh, Baptist church out in Los Angeles a set of years ago. His name is was E.V. Hill, and his wife had passed away, mm. and he was preaching her funeral and eulogizing her so beautifully. And he was preaching from a passage from Job and uh, where, where, where we read, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And as only our Baptist brothers can preach, it was just this mighty heartfelt testifying that um, the challenge of being faithful and trusting. Mm. And he just makes this honest comment in the course of his this sermon. He said, I'm crying, but I'm getting stronger. And he just felt like the Lord was inviting him to trust me, trust me. So here he is in this massive loss, tremendous grief, his life partner who we absolutely loved and cherished and adored. And yet he's praising God, blessed be the name of the Lord. What faith to preach that kind of a funeral when you're in grief and sorrow and when suffering doesn't make sense. Yeah, I first came across that sermon back in the 80s. Uh, a friend of mine, a priest friend of mine now, uh, gave it to us. Uh, we were living together, and I, m- I remember being struck by it then. And I think I listened to it at least once a year. It's one of the most powerful um, preachings I've ever heard. And I remember, you know, right after he he quotes that line from Job 121, yes. the Lord gave, the Lord took away, blessed be his name. He says to his congregation, he's preaching to his family, yes. right? He says, you know, the scriptures not only give me the explanation for my wife's death, it also gives me the response that I must make. The Lord took away, bless his name. And when he goes in that litany, I think the title of the sermon is Trust Me. When he goes through that litany of um, recounting an experience that he had in prayer when his wife was sick, and he says, you felt like the Lord said to, said to him, trust me. And he, he, he says, you know, I, I quickly concluded that meant the Lord was going to heal her. But the Lord didn't say that. No. The Lord said, trust me. And he goes on to explain that. He says, you know, trust doesn't involve yes to what you ask. It involves that he knows best. And I think that's one of the things, uh, as we were preparing for this, that we, we wanted to, to break open is, that's one of the places where the enemy comes after us, right? So oh when we gosh, get sick, absolutely. he starts to attack in a particular way or when we start to suffer, right? Absolutely. Uh, you know, I, I'm just thinking about people that I've walked with, uh, people that you've walked with, our own our own experience of suffering is the father of lies creeps in very quickly and sometimes very subtly. And he starts to whisper things in our ears that, sound nothing like the tone of the good father. And he starts to whisper things like, see, he's not good. Mm. God the father, right? God the father is not good. He does not love you. If he loved you, you would not be going through this, whatever the this is. See, you can't trust him. Or even, you know, even taking that to a deeper level. So he goes after the father's identity and then he starts to go after us very intentionally and saying, see, you deserve this. 
Because remember when you did X, mm. now he's punishing you for that. Right. It might be a sin. It might be a failure. It might be a choice. But whatever. See, you deserve this. And if we're not really careful in these seasons, he can have a heyday with us, which is one of the reasons I think it's very helpful Father John, you mentioned earlier in the course of our conversation that the word of God is not silent on suffering. Mm. And when we start to hear the father of lies creeping in and he's whispering these these absolute treacherous things in our life that can derail us in a season where we're most vulnerable, open the word of God and start going through the Psalms. The Psalms cover every manner of emotion. Yeah. And start praying with the word of God and declaring his promises and his truth into yeah, our lives. Yeah, I'm thinking immediately of Psalm 73. So it's always been a, a favorite psalm of mine. I remember hearing uh, Father Francis Martin, who was kind of a mentor of mine, who's passed away now. He was given a presentation on this one time out at a bar in Washington, D.C. And he was just breaking open that psalm and how to address suffering in our lives. And the psalm begins with how good God is to Israel. And then he says, and you should read after that uh, a rhetorical comment that goes something like this. Ha! Like funny is. And then the psalmist starts talking about how I watch the wicked prosper and how tempted I am to just curse God and turn my back on faithfulness because those who have abandoned God seem to be doing Seemingly just fine. Thank you very much. And then the psalmist goes on to say, such was the case until I entered the house of God and considered what happens to the wicked. Mm. And so, so the, to your point, the psalms are just a great place to bury ourselves and then to just like scripture is healing, right? And there's so much in our minds that needs to be healed, particularly when we're in the throes of pain and anguish of whatever kind it is. And I think, anyway, the the most challenging passage in Scripture, at least for me personally, um, is addressing the topic of suffering, and it's in St. Paul's letter to the Colossians, where Paul says in chapter 1, verse 24, I fill up in my own flesh what's lacking in the sufferings of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church. And the perennial question is, what could possibly be lacking. Yeah, it's, so Paul's not going like, hey, if Jesus just could have held out a little bit longer, everything would be great. The only thing lacking in the sufferings of Jesus is my participation mm-hmm. in it, your participation. And as you said, as we began, it's really not a question of if I'm going to suffer. It's just a question of when and how. And when we suffer, we can do one of two things. We can complain, we can balk, we can rebel, which is what I usually do. Or we can say something like, this is what my mom taught me. I remember asking her one time, Mom, how do you do this? Like, what, what would be your wisdom to those who are suffering? And she says, well, I remember one day just saying to the Lord as I was lying in my hospital bed, I don't want this, but I know you can heal me because you have before. And so if this is what you have for me right now, then I trust this is not in vain. And I, I think that's what Paul's trying to teach us. You know, like if you and I had been there on, on the day that we now call Good Friday and had seen Jesus, you know, stripped naked, nailed to a tree, scourged beyond recognition, we would have said to ourselves, what good would ever come of that? Well, the redemption of the world, the recreation of the universe came from that, the destruction of 
death and sin, the defeat of Satan. But we wouldn't have known that at the time. And so when we suffer, what Paul's trying to say to us is, um, trust that no more than was Jesus's cross in vain is our cross in vain when it's united to his. And so one of the things that we can do, and I know you did this when you were sick, my mom did it all the time. We can say to the Lord, Lord, I unite what I'm going through to your cross for, and then you just start naming people, right? Amen, you do. You take your, you start writing people's names with you wherever you were going. Like for me, it was a journal that I took to the hospital with me uh, countless times, right? I'm offering this day for this person or this intention. Thinking too about, in a particular way, the communion of saints, Father John, I, as I listened to you talk about your mother, who uh, we had, my family had the privilege of knowing too. I'm just thinking like, just saying in my heart right now, St. Thelma, pray for us. Mm-hmm. You know, teach us how to suffer well. And uh, last week was the feast day of uh, one of my patron saints who adopted me when I was going through uh, when I entered the school of suffering, and one of the prayers that I made through his inspiration, I believe, was uh, I, I remember asking um, in prayer, Lord, if I'm going to die, help me to die well. And if I'm going to suffer, help me to suffer well. Mm. And if I'm going to live, help me to live well. And I think maybe that that line just, help me to suffer well, somehow, help me by your grace to suffer well, yeah. because great good can come from that, yeah. right? And and to trust one day you're going to see the other side, right. right? I mean, you talk about the communion of saints. Uh, I've always found uh, there's a passage in St. Faustina's diary. It's paragraph 153, where she describes a vision that she has of these two roads, I think this is so helpful. She says, I saw two roads. One was broad, covered with sand and flowers, full of joy, music, and all sorts of pleasures. People walked along it, dancing and enjoying themselves. They reached the end without realizing it. And at the end of the road, there was a horrible precipice, that is, the abyss of hell. And the souls fell blindly into it. As they walked, so they fell. And their number was so great, it was impossible to count them. And I saw the other road, or rather, a path, for it was narrow and strewn with thorns and rocks, and the people who walked along it had tears in their eyes, and all kinds of suffering befell them. Some fell down upon the rocks, but stood up immediately and went on, And at the end of this path, there was a magnificent garden filled with all sorts of happiness. And all these souls entered there. And at the very first instant, they forgot all their sufferings. You know, we believe in the communion of saints, as we were just talking. And that means that Uh, there is a real friendship between us and those who are in the Lord's presence or on their way to the Lord's presence if they're not already there yet. You know, in in one of the prefaces for the saints, it says, um, you, Lord, you know, you give us in their their lives, you give us an example, um, and you give us friendship with them, companionship with them. 
So we still have friendship. Death, death has been defeated. And so they are somewhere right now. And so they can really help us. And there can still be a real thin veil between us and them. And I don't know. I, I don't know how, I'm always sensitive to say things um, publicly like this, but I'm going to share it anyway, just because maybe it was my imagination and maybe it was a gift from God. I don't know. But shortly after my mom died, I remember praying for her. And then I, I just asked her, I said, Mom, what is it like to not be in pain anymore? Because she had lived most of my life in off-the-chart pain. And I saw my mom in my mind, as I was praying, I don't know if this was a gift from the Lord or not. I don't know how to describe this, but I, I felt like I saw my mom and she was standing there. She had this, she was radiant. She had this beautiful smile on her face. And as I'm looking at her, her eyes turned upwards as if someone's eyes do when they're thinking about something. Mm-hmm. And she's looking up as if to try to like jar her memory. And she says, pain. And then she's kind of fumbling in her mind. She goes, I remember that word. And then she turned and she looked at me and she says, but I don't remember pain anymore. I mean, it was exactly what Faustina is talking about. Like they just forgot all their sufferings because this is the promise of revelation, right? There will be no death, no sorrow, no pain, no tears, um, just joy beyond all imagining, which is all surrounded around or centered around being in the presence of, uh, of the one who is a good father and his uh, beloved son, who is our brother and our Lord and our rescuer. And that's what the other side of the tapestry looks like. We just can't see it yet. And that's why we can suffer with hope. We can grieve with hope. We can cry um, uh, our tears of grief and all of that. Because that's what, that's what, that's our experience here. But the beautiful reality is one day there will be no more tears, no more tears, no more sadness, no more sorrow. So because we are finite mortal beings, we can't see what the divine author is doing, but he is weaving a masterpiece or else he never would have created us. And he certainly would never have become a man and endured the cross because he thought it was worth it. And what he thought was worth it is you and me because at the heart of the gospel is we matter and we're worth fighting for and God is love and he cares and he gets involved and he acts and he saves and he's trustworthy and he's reliable and you can bank on him and all of this is true so do not be afraid No matter what's going on in your life right now, God is with you, even if you cannot sense him or experience him. And you were born for this. Hello, friends. This is Mary Guilfoyle with X29. Thanks so much for listening. If you're interested in knowing more about our mission, check out our website at x29.org. That's A-C-T-S-X-X-I-X dot org, where you can learn more about who we are and what God has called us to do. And while you're there, you can also subscribe to Father John's weekly blog, Thoughts from the Trailer, as well as access The Rescue Project. We also invite you to connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. And please pray for us and be assured of our prayers and gratitude for each and every one of you. 
We look forward to you tuning in next week. God bless you.